Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I'm Julia Georgialis, and I'm the author of How to Eat Your Christmas Tree Cookbook. There is this BBC One documentary that was released in 2017, I believe, called Judy Dench, My Passion for Trees. And I saw an excerpt, and she has such reverence for trees. It's so easy to take trees for granted. But Dame Judy discusses how she touches her trees, she talks to her trees, she loves her trees on her six-acre property. Her lifelong fascination with trees started when she was little. When did you get interested? in trees? I've always been really interested in nature and I've always really loved um, plants and taking care of plants. Um, And I'm also really interested in um, edible plants like foraging and and keeping herbs. So I recently moved back home with my mum in September and I bought with me a sourdough starter. I bought with me like my kombucha. And then I bought about 20 plants home with me. And my mum was just kind of like, where are we going to find them for all of these plants? <laughs> so it really started in a big way when I were left home. But it's kind of just got progressively more and more <laughs> as, I've, as I've gotten older, really. First, when I saw the title of this cookbook, I was like, what? But then after I started reading it, you made me think about things I've never thought of, like 40 million trees are cut down per year at Christmas time. That is an astounding number. And I've never looked at it as wasteful. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think it's not just about Christmas trees. I think we do kind of waste a lot of things, especially around Christmas. Christmas is a particularly wasteful time of year. And this book is, it's, you know, obviously the title is How to Eat Your Christmas Tree. So it is very much about Christmas trees, but it's also about thinking about how we waste things in general and how we could reuse things and look at things in a different way, including the plants that we keep and the food that we eat. I'd love some tips on how to have a more sustainable Christmas. Well, there's, there's actually quite a lot of things you can do. And funnily enough, when I started this project in 2015, having a sustainable Christmas wasn't really something that people were really discussing. But now there are so many things you can do. So, for example, you could cut down on your meat intake. I'm not saying that you forego the turkey completely. If you really, really want to eat turkey on Christmas Day, fine. But you know, have, have people ever thought about maybe not eating so much meat in the run-up to Christmas? There's also things like ditching Christmas wrap and maybe not sending Christmas cards, which maybe people don't really do anymore anyway. But those things really, really are quite wasteful. Um, I've also got a recipe in my book for edible Christmas decorations because Christmas tree decorations are so, so wasteful, including um, Christmas tree lights. They're really, really unsustainable just the way they're made and also the fact that they, um, you know, they run on quite a lot of energy. There's quite a few little things that you can do to make your Christmas a little bit more sustainable overall. So what's one edible Christmas tree decoration we could do off the top of your head? Well, you could do things like gingerbreads and cookies because they, you know, they obviously they keep for a long time. So they would they would last really nicely on your tree. But then in the book, I've also um, got some um, edible Christmas tree decorations which can also be eaten by birds if you want to have your tree outdoors if you have the room uh, or if you have a garden Um, and those are basically seed balls so you could make seed balls energy balls that kind of stuff can you talk a bit about how cultures around the world see evergreens 
Yeah, so this is something that I really enjoyed writing about, actually, in the How to Eat Your Christmas Tree book, because I haven't just focused on, you know, the kind of West standard Western Christmas trees like pine, fir and spruce. Um, I've also looked at things like bamboo, which is very, very surprising to a lot of people, because in the East, in Korea, in Japan, in China, the pine, the plum and the bamboo are kind of known as the three friends of winter. And these three plants are seen in a very similar way to how we see pine, fir and spruce. So they're symbols of longevity. Um, uh, they're really plucky. They're really hardy plants. And then also I've written a lot about um, juniper, which is uh, a cousin of, of pine and the fir and the spruce. And that, again, is, is quite a plucky plant. And then there's also uh, the olive, which I refer to as the OG Christmas tree because the Romans and the Greeks used to decorate their houses around wintertime with olive branches because olives are also symbols of everlasting life. Can you describe the flavor profiles of fir, spruce and pine? Oh, uh, they're oh, they're delicious. <laughs> um, so, so I'll start with spruce because that's my favourite tree to eat. Um, so it's it's really kind of um, in a way vanillary. Um, and I actually recently discovered um, because I was always a bit baffled as to why my spruce ice cream tasted of vanilla. And I actually recently found out that kind of artificially produced vanilla. Uh, used to have um, notes of spruce in it as well. So that's the kind of flavour profile that we're dealing with with spruce. And then fir is a little bit more zesty. It's a bit more grassy. Uh, and pine is much, much more delicate than those t- the, the other two. So pine is, yeah, it's very delicate. It's quite warm. It's quite woody. You know, it's funny because when I think of pine as a flavour, I think of pine saw the cleaner. Do you guys have pine yeah. saw? Yeah, and that's the thing that people really think about because they they always associate pine with like the Christmas tree shaped uh, like car smell thingies that you put on yes, your dashboard, and it's such an invasive smell. So yeah. it was interesting that you said that pine is a little softer. Yeah, pine's the softest out of the three. Like when you boil up the needles, because initially when we first started this project, that was the first thing that I did. I boiled up the needles to see what they tasted like. And pine doesn't really taste of much when you boil it up, unless you add kind of other things to it. But um, yeah, I was surprised as well, really. So I guess the pine smell is made up. It does smell quite different to how it taste and I don't know why because in a you know in a forest it kind of smells a lot more expansive you know can we tell if a tree is poisonous to eat no you can't but the uh yews which are which kind of look a little bit like pines are poisonous so so just make sure you're not eating a yew tree and the other thing is a lot of people will buy trees that haven't been grown you know in an environment which means that you can eat them so quite a lot of trees are sprayed with things um with paint and with all kinds of chemicals. So just make sure that if you are buying your tree and you plan to eat it, that you buy it from somewhere that sells, you know, organic and nicely treated trees. Yeah. Can you talk about page 126 for a minute about how we do seek out an edible Christmas tree? Buying an edible Christmas tree, it's a little bit like how you are encouraged to buy your food. You know, it's, it's like buying a organic apple, for example, or, or something that's been grown in a nice way without lots of pesticides. So in my book, I do have a little um, section in the back as to where you can buy edible Christmas trees around the world. 
in the States, you can buy your Christmas trees from the National Christmas Tree Association, um, realchristmastrees.org. There's different organisations around the world which are doing really nice things with uh, buying edible Christmas trees. So in Portugal, you can rent your trees from the country's fire service, and they're all kind of um, nicely grown trees, which I thought was really lovely. So you can rent your tree in Portugal? You can rent your tree, yeah, and you can uh, you can rent it. Uh, they're all kind of nicely grown in forests, and then... Um, once you're done with it, then the fire service will come and take it away for you and dispose of it nicely. Then cue the post-Christmas world where, as you put it, it's nothing like the pre-Christmas world. Everything is glum, we're fatter, we're poorer, and we're still a bit hungover. We must repent for all the fun we've had, and to top it off, the mass throwing away of millions of little trees commences. What are the five ways to recycle our Christmas tree? So the five ways to reuse your Christmas tree, you can recycle it if you contact your council um, and check with them how is best to recycle your tree. You can also contact your nearest Christmas tree farm, for example, make friends with your local Christmas tree farmer. Where I buy my Christmas trees from to eat, they turn their Christmas trees into kind of like horse jumps and, uh, and all kinds of things, which is quite nice. You can donate your tree to a local zoo or a safari park or any park in your area. I mean, I think the really nice thing to do with your tree is to, if you can, repot it and replant it. And then you can have a tree for next year. So it's almost like you're growing a tree that will kind of live alongside you. You can also, uh, something I think is really nice, is you can dry the branches uh, and use them as decorations or make a dried wreath for next year. Or I would really love to see more people talking to their local florist and see if their florists can do something with some nice pieces of pine and fir and spruce. Christmas tree vinegar is by far the easiest way to reuse your tree. Can you describe this recipe that's on page 45? And this also makes a great gift. Oh, yeah, I love this recipe. It is super, super easy. So all you need is um, a couple of large kilner jars or a mason jar. You will also need about two litres of good quality cider vinegar and roughly 200 grams of fir, pine or spruce. Uh, and you'll take the needles from your fir, pine or spruce. You will sterilise your glass jar. And then once your glass jar is sterilising, you'll prepare and finely chop the needles. So there's also a little section in the beginning of my book for how to prepare the needles properly. But it's really easy. You basically just snip them off the branch. And then once your your glass jar is sterilised, you'll pour the vinegar into a large saucepan, heat it over a medium heat until it's warm but not not quite boiling, and then add all the chopped needles to the jar and um, pour the vinegar over that. Once that's all in the jar, you'll, uh, you'll tightly seal your your jar and leave it to infuse for at least two weeks but you can infuse it for up to three months and um, so obviously if you leave it for three months it will be stronger and you'll kind of know when your vinegar is infused because all the needles sink slowly to the bottom of the jar so once it's infused you'll use a fine sieve to strain out all the needles and pour the strained vinegar into a new sterilized jar and then once once you've actually made this infused vinegar it lasts for ages. It can, you know, it can last until next Christmas. So you could potentially make all your vinegar in January for next Christmas. And I think that's a lovely, lovely festive gift. Ash is used in cooking all over the world. As home cooks, how can we use it? So it's much easier to use ash than, than even I actually thought it was. You basically char your branches. Or, I mean, in this case, Christmas trees, but I guess you could use other types of tree as well. So you put your branches inside your oven turn your oven up 
until your branches have turned black, <laughs> essentially. And then you blitz your branches with like a hand whisk and then you have ash to use in, in delicious ways. I've got some recipes in my book for the burnt ash cauliflower. There's ash baked vegetables, ash honey glaze, which I really, really love. That's really, really simple to use. And you can use that on meat or fish or vegetables or even you, even pastries, actually. You can kind of do lots of different things with it. And it gives this really lovely smoky, quite expansive flavour. You can really taste the kind of pine and the spruce and the fir in the ash. Yeah, ash is much, much easier to cook with than I'd even imagined, to be honest with you. So you wrote in the Scent of Pine essay, which I love, by the way. Thank you. You wrote... On a metaphysical level, the forest humbles us, gives us perspective, and sparks creativity, making appearances in every creative pursuit of man. Poems, literature, folklore, religion, and belief systems, art, music, and dance, as a place of magic and deep contemplation, and an enabler of ritual. What is the most powerful magic that trees have? Yeah, it is the smell, isn't it? It's the smell of a forest, the fact that it can transport you backwards in time. And that's quite powerful, isn't it, I suppose, because there's so many different memories that that sparks for me anyway. And I think for a lot of people, you know what I really love about my own memories of pine is that they're at different parts of my life and they're in all parts of the world. And they're also at all times of year, like pine forests in the summer in Sweden, you know. And so it's this lovely kind of amalgamation of all different lovely memories. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. And pine for me kind of evokes kind of like a romantic loneliness. I grew up in Kansas and it's flat. And to me, the flatness is... Um, super comforting. But then when I get into a forest, it hits me as very lonely. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that it, you know, that's the opposite of what I think of them as. You know, my, my first memory of pine is we, we have some land in Cyprus where my family are from. And my first memory of pine is going and sitting under the pines in the summer and everyone goes and sort of drinks their coffee and plays cards and things. And it's kind of very sociable. And, you know, I imagine kind of pine forest by the sea in Sweden where everyone's kind of running around and going to the beach. So it's, it's, it's kind of the opposite of your, your memories, actually, which is really nice. But mine is kind of like a romantic loneliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a comforting loneliness, which, you know, yeah, which right. is also lovely. I made your recipe for pine nut and chocolate brownies on page 94. Can you describe this recipe? Yeah, sure. So that's a funny recipe, actually, because I think a lot of people don't put two and two together that pine nuts are from a Christmas tree. Um, I know. No. Last night, my husband and I were talking about it. I said, Bob, have you ever made the connection of pine nuts to pine trees? And I thought he'd be like, yeah, doesn't everyone? And he was like, no. I no said, one I, does. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love this recipe so much, because it, it kind of draws people attention to the fact that Christmas trees are part of our lives all year round. <laughs> but this, I mean, I love this recipe. It's based on um, on, Ita on an Italian dessert called um, Tota di Pignole con Chocolato, e Chocolato. And I love the fact that the combination of the oils in pine nut kind of make this brownie really, really fudgy and, uh, and very creamy because pine nuts are quite creamy. So it's super easy to make. So it's, you just need kind of, lo you know, lovely dark chocolate um, and a handful of pine nuts and you end up with this really gooey brownie. <laughs> it's great. 
Now to my segment called Last Night's Dinner, where I ask you what you had last night for dinner. Oh, so last night, well, I'll start with what I had for lunch because it feeds into last night's dinner. But I had a plate of mussels for lunch in uh, in butter um, and garlic and coriander. And I kept the kind of juice from the mussels that I made for lunch and I boiled up some rice in it. Um, so it was kind of like fishy and garlicky uh, rice. And then I made a kind of soy sauce omelette with spring onions, chopped that up, stuck that in the rice and used half an avocado and lemon and a little bit of uh, sesame oil. So I had a egg fried rice basically with some leftovers. <laughs> Yum. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Where can we find you on the web and social media? So you can find um, information about my work on juliagiorgialis.co.uk. Julia, J-U-L-I-A, Georgialis, G-E-O-R-G-A-L-L-I-S.co.uk. And I'm also on Instagram, which is um, Julia Georgialis. I am actually launching a new project for all of my um, food research to sit on. And that's also on Instagram. It's called The Edible Archive. So it's the.edible.archive. That's on Instagram. And that will be launching in January. Well, this has been eye-opening. Thanks, Julia, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. And Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Susie. Thank you so much for inviting. I really, really like your podcast. (laughs) Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.